Odd Trails contains adult language and content. These stories can be frightening for some. Listener discretion is advised. If you have a story to share, send it to stories at oddtrails.com. Enjoy the show. Forget facts. Forget logic. Forget everything that seems real. Just trust. Believe. Not long after my parents divorced, my mom started dating a new guy. I moved in with my mom and her new boyfriend, two years later. My mom and her boyfriend worked night shift, so I was home alone every night. The main entrance to our house was through the basement. Every single night at around 2am, I would hear the basement door slam and then footsteps coming up the stairs very loudly but I knew it wasn't my mom or her boyfriend because they didn't get off until 6 a.m. I would call my mom, crying, thinking that somebody was breaking in. She finally got fed up with me and we installed security systems. They had cameras. We had access to them on our phones. I would still hear that slamming door and the footsteps, but it eased my anxiety a bit. Now, my mom's boyfriend is someone who couldn't stand for lights to be on if you weren't in that room. He would even make us turn off our bedroom light just to go to the bathroom. So imagine my surprise when I would come out of my bedroom at night and the hallway and bedroom lights would all be on when I know for sure I turned them off. Little things like this would happen all of the time. Doors would be open when I know that I closed them or lights would be on when I know I turned them off. I thought I was going crazy, honestly. What I'm about to tell you was the scariest thing that ever happened to me, though. It was Thanksgiving. Now, I'm always running late, so I told my family just to leave without me as I was going to get ready, and I would just meet them at my grandparents' house. Once they left, I turned the alarm on and continued getting ready in my room. About 15 minutes after they left, My phone sent me a notification saying motion detected in the dining room. So I went and looked at the cameras, and there was nobody home. I went back and I watched my family leave. I let it go. A little freaked out, yes. I turned the alarm back on. It happened again, though. I grabbed everything, and I put it in a bag and left as fast as I could. I know that it's not scary, but I was terrified. Now, these next accounts are not my own, but they come from my brother, and I believe him because he has no reason to lie. I had not told him what I had experienced. My brother would always play his Xbox in the basement and would stay up pretty late on the weekends. One night, he finished up playing and turned off the Xbox, turned off the basement light, and was walking up the stairs when the Xbox and TV turned on by themselves. There was one day that he went into the bathroom. While he was there, all of the bulbs shot at once. This bathroom 
had one of those mirrors with four lights at the top of it. They all went out. Another time, he was in the basement, and the main light bulb went out. He had been telling my mom's boyfriend about it, and when he finally went to go change the light bulb, he turned the lights on first and the bulb lit up like normal. He fussed at my brother and said that he was lying. This house always gave me the creeps so much that I finally went to third shift so that I wouldn't have to be at that house alone at night. One day my mom, her boyfriend, and I went to a restaurant for breakfast after work and I asked, will you please just be honest with me? I know something happened in that house. It was then that she told me that back in the 80s, a husband and wife lived in that house and they had gotten into an argument. The husband left and when he came back, his wife shot him in the basement. That explained me hearing that door slam, the footsteps going up the stairs, the eerie feeling that everyone got when they were in the basement. My mom and her boyfriend broke up and she moved. I had to live with her for a little while. One night at my mom's new house, my dog started barking obsessively and it woke my brother and I both up. We were having to share a room at the time. My brother swears he saw the bedroom door open and a man enter. We checked the whole room, but nobody was there. This story happened when I was 10 years old, the same year my father passed away. My now widowed mother decided to move my siblings and I out of the house that my father rented for us and to go to her childhood hometown. The town we were living in was all I knew and was familiar with, and I never experienced anything strange or paranormal there. My mother moved us to the town where my grandmother and aunt lived, which is a very small, rural, mountain town in a national forest. The house that we moved in was on top of a hill and was one of the many houses in the neighborhood. There were other children in the neighborhood that were around my age whom I befriended. The most notable one was a girl who I will call Mary. We became very close at the time and we would play all over the neighborhood, even in the woods, except for one place. Across the street from my home, there was an abandoned house that a tree had fallen on and damaged very severely. The house was completely uninhabitable, although there was evidence of someone living there previously, perhaps before the tree had fallen on it. This was not the only abandoned house in the neighborhood, as on the hill between Mary's house and the teenager named Heather's house, was an empty manufactured home that was used for storage. However, me and the other neighborhood children played there. Nothing ever strange happened at that location, and I would go peek into the windows on the safe side of the house, where the tree didn't damage it so much. It included a secondary bedroom and a kitchen. I started to notice some inconsistencies of what I would see every time I would look through the windows on that side of the house. 
The most noticeable inconsistency was when the twin-sized mattress laying flat on the bedroom floor somehow got moved and set upright against the kitchen stove with the stove light on, although the power had been disconnected from the house. I knew no one had been inside due to how unsound the house was structurally. It was completely unsafe to go inside. There was no way the wind could have blown through the large gap in the roof through two different rooms and moved the mattress as properly as it was positioned. This creeped me out and I didn't go back peeking into the windows or even on the property. One warm Saturday in early autumn, I was outside in my yard with Mary playing with the toy cars we had, pretending we were driving on roads. Her mother called from her house to Mary to come inside and eat dinner. She said bye and went home, leaving me alone in my yard. My mother and two siblings had gone to town outside of the National Forest to go grocery shopping, so I was completely alone. I noticed something from the corner of my eye move across the tall, uncut grass of the yard across the street. I turn to look, and I see the grass rustle around the swing set and the slide in the yard. It then goes to the side of the house where the exterior basement door was, the side of the house that received the most damage and was the most unsafe. As the figure in the grass rounds the corner, it lets out a childish giggle and disappears. Being the brave, untouchable ten-year-old child that I thought I was, I go towards to where I last saw the figure. I see the pushed-over grass where someone had been moving, which started from the front porch, like it had jumped from the porch and traveled around the house towards the backyard. I followed the trail in the direction I saw the figure moving, and I get closer to the exterior basement door. When I get closer to the door, I hear the childish giggles again coming from the basement of the structurally unsound house. The exterior door, which is normally padlocked closed, was open and the lock lay on the ground in the unlocked position. I stepped inside the dark basement, which is wet and smells of mold, and attempt to look around the pitch black room. I step inside farther, and the wind slams the door closed. My heart drops as I hear the giggling start again and get closer to me. I can't see a thing, but the moldy smell gets stronger, and I feel goosebumps and cold sweat take over my body. The next thing I remember is waking up in a briar patch on the steep hill adjacent to the exterior basement door of the damaged house. My head is heavy like I'm waking up from anesthesia and my vision is blurry. As I regain consciousness, my vision clears up enough for me to raise my head. The swing set from the yard is mere feet from me on the left. I look over to my right side and the mattress from the bedroom is a few feet away from me. Panic and adrenaline rush through my body as I raise from where I landed cutting my hands and arms on the briars surrounding me. I didn't even feel them. I start staggering, lightheaded, 
up the hill to where the tall grass of the yard starts, falling backwards but never down a few times on the way. I reach the crest of the hill and I'm staring at the damaged house, which is now sitting under dark rain clouds like a storm was about to break loose at any moment. I see the imprints on the ground where the swing set once stood, and during this, I hear a loud cracking sound. I look up to see the damaged house splitting down the center and collapsing upon itself. I turn around and run to my own house across the street, not once looking back. As I close the front door to my home, the heavy rain the clouds were threatening breaks loose. Relief floods over me, causing me to realize I need to use the restroom. I go do my business, and when I'm finished, I look in the mirror. My long hair is a tangled mess, my arms are all cut up from the briar patch, and there's blood running down my face from my nose. I go to my room, get fresh clothes, and take a shower. That's when I realize I can't smell the soap I'm washing myself with or the shampoo I'm using. I grab my mother's body wash and I can't smell that either. I start sobbing in the shower over the discovery and the flashbacks start coming. The flashbacks are of the figure moving through the grass, which is all I can remember of my supernatural experience before waking up in the briar patch. The next few days it rains almost non-stop, flooding the creeks nearby to the point water is rushing across the shorter ridges and it gets unusually cold for early autumn. The cold is welcoming, as I can hide my scratched up arms from my mother as I wanted to avoid telling anyone of this experience. I am now 20 years old, and this is the first time I have gone into full detail about this experience. I now live in a different town about 45 minutes away from the town in the mountains that I lived previously. I live in a town along the river, and there's lots of fields near some wooded areas where sometimes I hear the rustling of brush and see a figure moving along the tall grass. I always ignore it, and I just tell my subconscious that it's just a deer or a raccoon since there's a lot of them in the area. To the negative entity in that damaged house, who now seems to haunt me, let's never meet again. My family loves the outdoors. We take every chance we get to enjoy a nice weekend. We often take family trips to go hiking and camp out. A few days prior, my dad and I decided to plan a hike. We decided that we wanted to hike to an area that we weren't familiar with. I thought it would be great to hike and camp somewhere that we hadn't been before. I did some searching online and located a trail slash campsite that was an intermediate rated hike with a campsite near the top of the mountain. We would have to bring our camping gear with us up the mountain. The morning of the trip, we woke up at 5 a.m. We organized our camping gear in the car and started the trip. The weather was perfect. 
we had no trouble finding the parking area for the hiking trail, and we got our packs set up. My dad and I had a great time hiking up the mountain. The wildlife and plant life were abundant, perhaps even a little overgrown over the path. At the top of the mountain was a beautiful view. Down the trail, about a mile, was where the camping area was set up, near a flowing river. It appeared that we had the place all to ourselves. My dad and I enjoyed the peacefulness of the flowing water and the solitude that we felt. The sun was starting to set in the west. We had just made dinner, and we leaned back in our chairs when we heard a strange noise through the woods. It sounded like a bullhorn going off in the distance. My dad heard it too. We both looked at each other and said, What the hell? I thought that maybe it was another hiker that was scaring off something or calling to their group. But we hadn't seen another car in the parking area. We both continued to sit in our lounge chairs and look around. We had run into some strange things camping before. My dad is never quick to go into a panic. We shrugged off the noise. A few minutes later, the agile sound of feet crunching the forest floor sounded off. The running seemed to be getting faster and closer to our campsite. We realized that someone or maybe a bear was running up to our camp and fast. We jumped up out of our seats, rushing to grab our knives hooked to our belts. Something appeared from the wood line across the camp area, and paused. We ducked behind our tents. I took out my binocular to get a better look, since it seemed camouflaged. I zoned in and saw that it was a man standing there, a bullhorn at his side. Over his face he wore a bear head, and the rest of the fur was cascading down his body. I was terrified. He was staring right in our direction. I felt our eyes lock onto each other. I don't like the looks of it, Dad, I said. All right, we'll start running back down that trail. The only thing we can do is get to the parking lot as fast as we can. We prepared ourselves and took off running from behind the tents. It was a good thing that we were going downhill, I thought to myself. Then the thud of footsteps behind me caused alarm bells. With my dad in front of me, this bear man was chasing us. It caused me to panic. I ended up tripping over tree roots. I busted up my knees and my hand. I picked myself up so quick that it was like nothing even happened. Thank God for adrenaline. I didn't hear any more thudding footsteps trailing us, but we continued to run down that trail. We saw a break in the trees exposing the parking lot. We both leaped into the car. My dad sped off, kicking up dirt and small rocks along the way. A few miles down the road, I realized we had left all of our camping gear behind on the mountain. I became irritated and said to my dad, that prick made us leave all our gear behind. My dad replied that camping gear is replaceable, but we are not. We don't know the intentions of that bear man. It seems to be the common assumption that he was just a hermit and we had intruded on his territory. My sister, on the other hand, believes that he was some kind of spirit showing his presence. Either way, 
I carry a gun with me when I camp now. You never know what you're going to run into. I live in Michigan, where hunting and fishing are a part of everyday life for a lot of people, myself included. I've been a very active outdoorsman, hunter, fisher, and just a general walk-in-the-woodser for a large majority of my 26 years. There are very few situations out in the woods that I'm uncomfortable with, but this is definitely one of them. It was mid-August which is when most people begin to scout new hunting spots before the October deer season. I had started to take a look at some public hunting land online and eventually found an area I wanted to go check out. Cell phone and GPS service is usually non-existent when going into these places, so I mapped out where I would go beforehand. There were a few distinctive landmarks that would make it easy to find my way out there. Follow the river to the first clearing, then face west and walk until you hit the pine tree line. Simple enough. I get to the parking area, check my cell phone, which has no service, load up my backpack with water and survival supplies for worst case scenarios, and then head out. I go down into the valley, across the creek, up the hill on the other side, then find the river and begin following it. I walked the river for approximately 20 minutes, sticking tight to it so as to not lose my way. This is where it gets weird. After 20 minutes of sticking tight to the river, I feel like it's taking longer than expected to get to the first clearing. I pull out my phone on the off chance I have signal and can check my location. No signal. I check the time and it's 4.12pm. I put my phone back in my pocket, look up and suddenly, I'm no longer standing by the river. I'm standing somewhere I've never seen before and the river is nowhere in sight. I'm staring at a no trespassing private property sign. I'm immediately unnerved. I check the phone again. Still 4.12pm. I'm trying to remain as calm as possible because I have no clue what just happened. I try to locate the sun to figure out where I am. I know the river is to the east. I should head in that direction. I'm panicking in my head at this point, thinking to myself, what happened? There's no way I walked that far off course. I was standing at the river. How did I get here? I eventually find my way back to the river and make the decision to continue on my walk to scout the area. I found the area I wanted to scout and made it back to my truck afterwards without issue. I still can't shake that feeling though. What happened out there? Once I got back home, I looked up the area on Google Earth. I find the bend on the river I stopped at, so I drop a pin and begin to search for where I ended up standing. It was 600 yards away. I had somehow wound up over a quarter mile away 
in the blink of an eye. No time had passed, as if someone or something had picked me up and dropped me at a new location. No explanation, but that feeling is inescapable even as I type this. My mom bought a secondhand Ouija board at a yard sale when I was a kid back in 1981. After staying up late watching the Saturday Night Monster movie at midnight, Rhonda, my best friend, and I decided to summon Dracula and Elvis. We dimmed the lights and sat across from each other, giggled nervously, and placed our fingers on the planchet. We asked all the questions we heard in the monster movie. Is anyone there? Are you dead? Are you a ghost? Are you a demon? We ask for the ghost of Elvis to come here and show yourself. Are you here? Is there anything that you want to tell us? Are you in heaven or hell? How did you die? Is Dracula there with you? We went on and on. You know, the usual stupid stuff that kids want to know. We didn't get any kind of response other than the usual spasms and jerks of your hands that you do while trying to sit still with them on the planchet. Both of us moved it and tried to scare each other and swore on our lives that we didn't do it and that it must have been a ghost. Eventually, we tired of our no-show ghosts and put the quote-unquote game away. Later that night, we had some pizza and played some card games. Amy, my five-year-old tag-along niece, was in the room with us, though I protested. Ugh, Mom, why does she always have to be here? It's not fair. I love her, but back then, she was the bane of my existence. So Amy was forced upon us, and she sat there with us, wrapped up in a huge comforter, listening to our preteen gossip. As we played cards, suddenly the old RCA Victrola and the corner of the room started playing a record on the turntable by itself, slower than its usual 33 and third RPMs. It was spinning so slowly that the sound it was making was like the deep guttural moans of the damned climbing up from the depths of hell. We were sure it was demons from hell that we had conjured up earlier with the Ouija board. Rhonda and I looked at each other, threw our cards down, ran to the door, and pulled it open so hard that we nearly pulled it off the frame. I mean, we booked it, leaving poor little Amy, who was tangled up in the comforter, to fend for herself against whatever was up there. Yep, we left a five-year-old, mullet-headed Moppet, for dead. Thankfully, no harm came to her, but it was an awfully scary adventure. The wind-up handle was against the wall, so no one had touched it for years. We don't know how or why that happened that night, but it's something that we haven't forgotten. The song that it played was Doris Day's Once I Had a Secret Love, so we couldn't help but think that it was the ghost of someone who missed their lover. That room had a dark aura from that night on. 
It always made us a little too chilly. The air was always electrified with a tinge of fear. And that old Victrola? Well, it belongs to Amy now. It gives her the creeps, but she's the keeper of it and all of its spirits. So maybe don't buy secondhand Ouija boards that may have been used as a portal to hell. Thanks a lot, Mom. ago, I was sitting on the couch with my girlfriend of 10 years. We went to the same high school, so we were sharing memories and talking about our classmates from that time, wondering how their lives are doing now. Suddenly, I thought of this guy named Armando, somebody who we both knew. I had this strange feeling of dread. I forgot he had passed away about six years ago, I recall seeing people post their respects on his Facebook profile. So before I started talking about him, I looked him up just to make sure. To my surprise, it turns out he's alive and kicking. Thank God, though. My brain made a mistake, but a good one. He looks happy and has a boyfriend now. So I start laughing and said, I had this weird feeling that Armando had died, but... I'm so glad I was wrong. My girlfriend looks at me with shock and says, No, you're not wrong. He died years ago. Now I'm in shock. I showed my girlfriend his Facebook page, which had an update or photo uploaded every month for the past few years. And this was all recent stuff, not a memorial page or anything like that. Her jaw dropped before she said, I remember his Facebook page said, in memory of, he passed away from cancer, we were at your mom's house when we all found out. She mentioned my brother was there too and urged me to call him to see if he remembered. So I called my brother and asked if he remembered Armando. He replied, yeah, sure, the really tall guy, what's up with him? I asked if he remembered anything weird about him to which he said, You mean that he died a few years ago? I nearly lost it. My brother was sure it happened, but I told him he was still alive. I even suggested that maybe we got him confused for somebody else. My brother said, Nope, I'm 100% sure that he died. So I called my best friend and asked him if he remembered Armando. He replied, yeah, of course, the giant. I asked if he remembered anything else about him. He replied, he died a few years back. Cancer, right? So I said, surprise, he didn't. My friend starts laughing like a maniac and insists, yeah, he did. So my girlfriend, brother, best friend and I can all recall the news of Armando dying. My friend suggested that maybe it was some kind of bad joke, but we all recalled seeing his family posting on his Facebook profile expressing their grief. 
I can't wrap my head around this situation. Seriously, what happened? I've heard a lot of theories, ranging from innocent digital mistakes to insane possibilities about sick people pulling sick pranks, or even Armando faking his own death. I also considered interdimensional theories. I went back on his profile and scrolled down to when he supposedly died, and there was nothing out of the ordinary. So, I decided to message him. And he messaged me back. He's doing great. He's still a coherent person with no signs of mental illness whatsoever. I told him we remembered going on Facebook and seeing comments that he had passed away, that my family and I were in shock. He said he has been using Facebook frequently over the years and has never seen or heard of anything about him dying. Maybe you guys got me confused with someone else, he suggested. No, dude, we're all sure we didn't. He had no answers, so I just laughed it off. I didn't want to creep him out, but I probably already accomplished that. I'm so sorry that there is no resolution to this story. The show is over. He isn't insane. He's alive. He's never been hacked. Facebook never killed him off digitally. His friends didn't screw him over. He just apparently never died. So, what, what do we talk about now? I was wondering that too. We're just kind of winging it this episode. I was thinking uh, maybe dreams. That's a fun one. Yeah, I guess so. Um, Do you have any recent ones? Go through your dream log. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, so hold on. I got a dream journal on my phone. Um, Let's go back. I'm just going to go back to the very beginning. Yes. First dream I have logged. This is from 2021. This was in December because I got a new phone. I lost all my old dreams. Kind of a bummer. This one is called, uh, you know, I don't want to say the name because it'll ruin it. I'm living in a castle during a medieval fantasy era. There are a lot of rich elites roaming around the courtyard. I think I might be poor, a peasant. I enter an elevator with a female and a little man. I realize that the little man is the guy from Twin Peaks. (laughs) (laughs) The elevator goes crazy fast and the little man starts throwing up. (laughs) We try to comfort him. He transforms into a dog. And then I have a note. Now I know how David Lynch writes his stuff. Nice. Yeah, that, it, that everything played out just like that. I remember that one vividly now, thinking about, thinking back on it. Wow. Um, I have one right after that called The Gun. Uh, let's, I don't remember this one. I was playing a real first-person shooter game, but it felt real. It was similar to Medal of Honor, the one from GameCube. I don't know which one it was, but it was the one that I owned. I had a pistol, and I shot a bunch of enemies. These were friends that were playing. But it turned out to be really real. I hid the gun in the back of my pants and went into a bar. I started talking with a friend. The bartender saw the gun, so I tried to hide it better. I then flashed the gun around for some reason. Now... I'm helping a friend move things into their shed because they're losing their apartment. It was a shared shed. We shared it together. My side was almost full, and I told him that he couldn't keep his stuff there. He says, okay, 
Then he tells me a secret. I can't recall the secret now. Now I'm outside of the shed, and a man in a delivery uniform, it looks like DHL, asks, Can I love up on your mom? (laughs) I ask him, what? And he repeats it, can I love up on your mom? I say, yeah, whatever, not really thinking about it. Then I see him dry humping women in the same bar that I was at earlier, but not my mom. I beat the shit out of him for assaulting these women, and the people cheer. Oh, it always works out that way. I remember it feeling so extremely vivid and real. This was almost a lucid dream. Also kind of good beating him up, like I was serving justice. So I guess now it's my turn to share a dream I actually had last night. Since you mentioned dreams, I didn't even think to share this with you, but yeah. last night I had a dream. I was walking my little chewini around the neighborhood, and then we came across a raccoon. Chi-chi. And me, oh, sweet Chi-chi, and me being apparently very stupid in my dreams, approached this raccoon, and I try to pick it up. It bites my hand, and then I carried it with me back inside the house for some stupid reason, and then try to call like a veterinarian to check us both out apparently. And then I told you about it. And you said, dude, no, you're going to get rabies. Like, no, I'm not stupid. And then you said, who's the stupid one who picked up a <laughs> raccoon? And that's all I remember. Yeah. Okay. I have one more here that I pulled up. I want to read. And I don't remember this one. I just liked the title. I titled it Spider-Man is a dick. So I'm at my old apartment, old, old apartment from when I was a kid. I was hiding with someone from my mom in this room. I think they were a murderer, but that's all I can remember. I was then in another hotel room with Tom Holland as Spider-Man. He was on the bed and injured. He needed me to take his place. He reluctantly gave me his outfit. He didn't want to give me the gloves because he needed to keep them for some reason. I wonder why. (laughs) He said that it was fine because I could use gardening gloves. The suit fit extremely tight. (laughs) I started looking for the mask, but I couldn't find it. He got mad at me and accused me of either stealing it or losing it. I looked down, and my pants were now super baggy. The outfit was only pants, not a one-piece suit anymore. We stripped the bed in the whole hotel looking for the mask, but it was nowhere to be found. So that's how you became enemies with Tom Holland? Yeah. I guess we've got nothing else to talk about. I just got back from tour. My brain is wiped. I'm in the middle of moving. We're recording this in the middle of the night. I've got nothing for you, man. And I just got off of work. I now work 3 p.m. to midnight, so I'm running on fumes. Let's just call it a night. Hope you all enjoyed listening. Thanks for tuning in. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for listening. This week you have heard a man was shot in the home I used to live in by Anonymous, the damaged house by Nathaniel. Sighting of the Bear Man by Anonymous. Lost in the Woods by J. Jakey. Secondhand Ouija Board by KD. And finally, Someone I Know Died Years Ago, but apparently he's still alive by Christopher Error 404. All the stories you've heard this week were narrated and produced with the permission of the respective authors. If you've got a story to share, send it to stories at oddtrails.com. And if you want to get access to ad-free versions of all of these episodes at a higher audio bit rate, head over to patreon.com forward slash oddtrails to support the show today. See y'all next week. Stay safe. Peace out.
the ghouls disturb you, darling.